are here live for the first episode ever of Pounding the Table, the podcast. We're bringing you some interesting news, strategy around investing. We got a lot of new investors coming in. Can't have a bunch of port noise out there, you know, picking Scrabble pieces out. So we want to give you a little bit more knowledge uh, than many of the, the folks that are out there here online. My co-host is, is the brains here behind this. So Anthony, want to introduce yourself. You started to, to grow very quickly here on Twitter. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and more importantly, kind of your story that, that paths into getting into the stock market. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to finally get this going. A lot of people have been asking for this, so I'm happy to finally give the people what they want. Yeah, I mean, I've been investing pretty much my my entire life. My parents were doing it when I remember just being like six or seven years old. I would go downstairs and sometimes see my parents like hitting up the E-Trade app, buying a bunch of shares of Visa. They, mm. they like to be, they're a little bit more on the conservative side. Um, when I was 14, 15, I decided to start trying it on my own. So I got a job as a busboy food runner at an Italian restaurant called La Trattoria or Oceanside. I was working there like 40 hours a week. And after two years, I only got out, I got out with like five or six grand, threw it, all into an, threw it all into an E-Trade account. I did a demo for about a week. I remember buying like some random penny stocks and I was like, all right, I got, I got it. I can, I can go put the real money in. And it was like all my savings. And I had just bought myself my, my first car, 1999 GMC Envoy. It definitely wasn't easy when I first started. I, I, I've probably blown up about four accounts in the whole time I started. I got into penny stocks when they were first hot, like the weed penny stocks. Mm-hmm. Those, those were not that great for me. You know, it hit, hit huge games, and then you catch the other side of the pump and dump, and mm-hmm. then you're the one that catches the dump. So that, that's it's not really a great time. I did the same thing with options myself. Like I just thought that for some reason I could start trading options. My cross-country coach and uh, track coach, Terrence White, Mm-hmm. One of my favorite people in the world he introduced me to options. And I, I didn't think that you know, I was always like, oh, stocks, stocks are the way to go. Why would you do anything else with stocks? They only go up. Right. Of what is the difference between, you know, a stock and a, an option, right? Uh, just yeah. from a very simple, I guess. Level. Yeah, I'll spoon feed it to the E-Trade baby. Yeah. I mean, like if you're playing stocks, if you're buying, you're just buying a piece of a company. So, you know, let's say Apple is worth a million dollars and, the shares are 10 bucks and you buy one share. So you own a small percent you know, for 10 bucks of that company and you're doing options. It's like, okay, well I, I don't have 10 bucks. So maybe I'll put a dollar in and I'll get the buying power that one share would have. So let's say that the stock goes over a certain price that you, it's, it's kind of like a bet, you know, you're, you're saying, all right, well, I think, you know, Apple's at three, three fifty now just for numbers sake, because it's skyrocketing. Let's say, I think it's going to go to three sixty and, so I'll buy like a, a 355, it's a call. So a call means you're going to the upside. You also have puts and that's going to the downside. So you make a bet to the upside and you're gonna have to pay for that bet. You know, it's, it's like you go to the sports place and, and you're paying for a bet there and you, you got odds in a line there. So sometimes the line's, you know, worse or better for you. So let's say mm. it's a dollar for that bet to say it's gonna go to 355 by Friday or next Friday or a couple months from now, whatever it is, the price will change depending on that. But um, sure. Let's say it's a dollar and it goes to 360 instead of having to put in that $350 times a hundred shares, which is what an option is, is for a hundred shares. Um, you put in a hundred bucks and if it goes to 360, you get 500 out. So you get the same buying power as if you put in 35 grand, mm-hmm. um, but without the 35 grand risk. Problem yeah. is though, that goes to zero if you're wrong, as any bet does. If you had the share, you could just hold on to it and hope it comes back later. 
Yeah, so there's that idea of like deterioration, but I always thought of it. I, I was a degenerate sports gambler, right? And so, I, you know, I always thought of options almost thinking of that as like a live bet, right? It's, it's exactly, it's, it honestly is exactly that. Yeah, you know, if a team, a team's up 24 nothing in the fourth quarter, you're going to take kind of a Hail Mary, kind of a long shot. Uh, there's not a lot of time left to get there. And, and so most likely you're, that's going to go down to zero. You started when you were young, you went to Duke University, which is, is definitely no slouch. Were you trading a lot during school? Like, how, how did it come from yeah. fun, nice to have to like, this is now your career? Talk about that, the early days. I'm sure you had a lot of doubters or haters, people talking shit to you that, that did <laughs> yeah. not believe in you, right? Yeah, um, you, you'd be surprised how many people are mean to a 16-year-old just trying to learn the market. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been trading, I think I've barely missed any days since I was like 16. <clears throat> I think I took a six-month period off. And still, I was checking the market. I think I was just doing crypto instead. So mm. I, I really haven't been out of the market since I was like 15. I'm 23 now. So um, I haven't been out of the market for like the last six or seven years. But in, in those early days, it was definitely hard. Like I didn't have many people to teach me besides my coach and Sam, Sam Perick, smarter trader, really you know, mentored me a lot about options, taught me the majority of what I know today, but still, like I remember being on Twitter, asking people questions, just being a part of the financial Twitter community and just getting shit on really just like trying to ask questions, trying to learn and even start giving my own opinions. Cause I don't really think you can start really doing anything well until you can talk about it from your own standpoint. Mm-hmm. And especially when I was doing that, a lot of the people would come out. Like I had some people hate on me for my Tesla prediction, which came true in 2020, went to a thousand. So I was like calling that at a hundred and I was like, you know, in five years, it was like my first big, big play. I was thinking, oh, wow, Tesla is like this, this is going to be a big game changer. And I remember getting absolutely wrecked for that on the internet. I honestly just stuck with it. Like I couldn't, I couldn't turn it off. I was obsessed with the markets. I was just, if, if I wasn't doing options, I was doing stocks. If I wasn't doing stocks, I was doing cryptocurrency and like, honestly, everything in between. So it's just been a huge part of my life. And I think when I was, when I was about like 10 or 12, I remember seeing my parents lose a ton of money in the 2008 crash. And I was like, man, like, I really want to do this one day to have the people who maybe don't have as much experience or time or even just care to be in the markets. Like, I want to be able to help those kind of people. And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking like the $250,000 minimum accredited investors in my fund, like not those people. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to help the, you know, the people who can just give 10, 50, whatever they can and maybe folks try to change like, their life. Folks like me, you know? Exactly. <laughs> which which kind of that's funny like this whole advent of, of the twitter stockbroker per se right and i guess that, that's really how we met is through sam originally right i, I had yeah. been following sam and saw you tweeting and then he like would tweet back to you and he doesn't really tweet back and forth with a lot of yeah. folks i had the opportunity i was down in, in dallas for a work trip and and i saw him uh i was like hey i, I saw you're in texas you're not in dallas by chance and then you know, he, he was in Dallas and I was able to, to actually spend some time, went out to like a fancy dinner. It's really just funny that you meet people through Twitter. Uh, you happen to be in New York. We grabbed a few beers and, and started <laughs> talking, you know, and here we are three, four years later now. We're chatting every day about stocks. And so it, it's funny. I also wanted to bring up I, I, Tesla, right? Um, to me, that was the biggest like, fuck you to the haters, right? You had bought, I, I think that's when I kind of validated you. I saw you, you know, buying your first Tesla. I think you were like 19. Would you say that was kind of like your first like fuck you hater moment? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, no, like... with, without without a doubt, man. Like that was like when I realized I was like, okay, well, like I, I can do this. And it, it wasn't just like people on Twitter that were hating. Like I remember showing my resume to 
some of my professors and like I, I posted like my trade gains and my percents and they're like, oh, well, everyone makes money when the, the market's going up. Right. All, you have to do is buy, all you do is buy calls. And I was like, well, then why are, are like hedge funds shutting at an alarming rate? And you know, why are they underperforming and people are pissed at their fees? So, mm. I mean, having that valid, I, I, I even posted on my Facebook, which was like a huge, you know, big move for me to do just because if I was wrong, I would have looked like a complete idiot. Right. I, I like took my entire trading account, genuinely like the entirety of my trading account. And I bought Tesla options a couple months out when the Model 3 was coming out. And I said, look, this is going to be a game changer. The stock's going to run like 50%. And it, and it did. And mm. uh, I took some contracts from like six or seven bucks to 50 plus. And, and then I bought my Model 3. So that was like the if I had anything that could give me proof that I could do this, it was that. And then from then on, I just like, I haven't let up. And I mean, now I, I'm, I wake up at like seven because I go to sleep at four and I watch <laughs> futures into the late night and I watch the Euro markets and everything. So, I mean, this is like, yeah, this is definitely like just my life now. You've, you've had an effect on me. I started waking up now at 4am. I checked out the futures <laughs> and then I'll try to go back to bed half the time it works, half the time it doesn't. But I think you're bringing up a good point, right? In, in terms of like the mindset, what you yeah. shared with me is there's a lot that goes behind what's happening with the news, which we'll touch on, of course, later. But like thinking of just the mindset when it comes to trading, a lot of people may trade scared. There's that old saying, scared money doesn't make money, right? And so when you wake up, you wake up at 4 a.m. When you re-wake up at 7 and start looking, what's that trading mindset you have every single day? Yeah. You know, what's your approach in the morning? Do you do push-ups? Do you drink a glass <laughs> of water? Whatever that may be. Yeah, like, yeah. How do you start your day? And what does that look like? It's a pri- Like a lot of people ask that. And I would say the biggest thing is your day doesn't start on, on the day that you're trading, right? Like you go into the day prepared from the day before. Right. Like I understand, trust me, like one thing I know more than almost anyone is, you know, that anything can happen in the markets. Like news can come in a second. Right. Like we we saw this yesterday. Anything can happen. Markets can drop 100 points in 10 seconds off of a headline. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm always long something. Right. Like I, I run a fund. So my, my funds usually always in something. So I'm not waiting till the next day to see, hey, like what, what's going to happen to my positions? Like I'm going to go to bed that night comfortable because I know that Hey, worst case scenario, market goes to zero. I'm hedged. Like I'm ready to go. I'm going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But when I do, when I do wake up, I usually don't go to bed until four because I like to check the quotes at 4 a.m. It's like a lesson I learned from, from Sam as well. Um, it's like, it shows you a good deal on there. But I also just always just, I'm watching those futures because it's surprising. You learn a lot about order flow. Like you, you learn a lot about seeing what the market really wants to do. And it's a huge mm-hmm. difference. Like overnight, it's way less volume like, um, than normal cash sessions. So I'm, I'm always watching that. But when I wake up and, and I see certain stocks rallying, certain stocks like flat or, you know, certain stocks down, it kind of paints a picture to me of what's going on in the market. Right? So it's like if all the, the stocks that have gotten beaten down, you know, the, the travel stocks, the airlines and everything, if those are exploding and I see tech is just kind of stalling and I see every, everything else in between that, it's just like kind of doing average, then I know that they're, you know, they're rotating money into those value stocks. So that's going to be the play of the day. But I'm already in value stock. So all I'm going to do that day is just arrange my portfolio, maybe sell out of a little bit because of the huge spike, and then mm-hmm. go back into the stuff that hasn't run yet. A big thing I learned is that the market likes to do a very, very cyclical thing. It goes between all these baskets. So it'll go between value. It'll go to growth. It'll go to big tech. And it'll come back in a circle. It's just a matter of when. Um, mm-hmm. So I like to have all those different areas, those different baskets in, in my basket, uh, just for when the time is right. 
we saw it last night, but I think it was maybe two days ago, everything with COVID this timing, I never know what day it is or what time it is. Like with Navarro, he he tweeted out and stocks just plummeted that that the China trade deal was done, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And then I joke with our squad that we're talking all the time. I was like, watch this. Trump's just going to tweet something very quickly and cut this off. And we joked, you know. That, yeah, that he's going to end up missing in some ditch soon. But, you know, it, it, it's really interesting. How do you interpret the news so quickly? What, what do you look for? What really matters? What, what are the biggest things like in trading? I think a lot of people just overlook this just for, for whatever reason. Maybe it's their own bias. Like maybe they think, oh, like this is a huge, huge deal or this isn't a, a deal at all. But things move the same over time, right? So we moved two times to trade the trade tensions were happening right at the end of 2019. And even earlier this year, that little uh, crash that we had down to like the 2700s and and SPX, Mm -hmm. those were both because of trade deal tensions, right? So if the deal was completely off, like actually like just done, like we're back to score zero, then the markets would have, I mean, that was 10% each time. We would have not been down only 30 or 40. We were down 30 or 40 after the market had already like, it didn't drop that day. So it was all just telling you like, hey, like this isn't real because if it was real, we would be under 3000 in seconds. So we wouldn't even be bouncing at all. We would just be diving the next day. SPX would be down 100, 150 points, easy. So, and I knew that that Navarro, like, who, who is he to say, like, I mean, he's a trade advisor. Okay, whatever. But who is he to say that the market, I mean, that, that we're going to be going down and who's, who is he to say that the trade deal is over? Like he doesn't have that kind of power. Well, the only person who can make that decision, which is what we've seen the entire time, like Trump is the one who makes that decision. So unless Trump some, says something, then it, it's a good chance that that person spoke wrong. And even if he spoke correctly, he, he's going to say that he spoke wrong. Right. So, oh, and, and that's a good point, right? Keep you know politics out of it more or less. COVID, the racial tensions that we've experienced recently. How do you sift through the noise? I, I know you've taught me <laughs> the market is not today. It's what's going to happen future looking. And you first that called the tipping point. COVID was scary to millions and millions of people. Obviously, all of a sudden, tons of people are dying. No one knows anything about this thing. And you were the first person that I remember saying, we're done with this. And obviously, it's not done. And you never mm-hmm. want to belittle mm-hmm. people that are, are dealing with that, of course. But, um, you know, just looking From at raw numbers, yeah. exactly, exactly. So how, how do you kind of like sift through that noise, right? Like how do you, how do you start breaking yeah. down and understand, okay, this is the tipping point. Let's purely look at data, politics, yeah. media out of that. What, what is your approach to that? Absolutely. I mean, I know that everyone has an agenda, right? So like every news station you go to, right? You, you put a, a, a clip on CNN and a clip on Fox, it's going to be the same clip with completely like the two, two extremes of an opinion or a, a headline on that clip. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't watch any news and I'm not saying that I don't read news because I read every piece of news that hits anywhere. Like I, I'm, I'm reading it as it comes. I got notifications every two seconds about whatever's happening. I make sure that anything that's, that's happening, that's a big deal in the market. I, I'll do my own research. Right. So I was thinking that we bottomed, I think I said this when, when Ackman came on CNBC and he was crying and whining like a little baby, even mm-hmm. though he didn't lose money. Right. Like he had one, his hedge was arguably the best trade I've ever seen. I mean, that thing, 26 million to 2.7 billion to, covered his whole portfolio. And then he got the double down in his holdings. That was incredible. So he had no reason to be screaming and crying. And that, that was, for me, that was like the bottom. And then we bought him a day later. But it wasn't even just that. Like I was watching the data, right? So I was looking at the COVID new cases and the deaths and everything. Everyone's just looking at this like linear chart. And it's just saying, oh, we're going up, we're going up, we're going up. And of course, we're going up. It's spreading and we're getting more testing. 
But then you look at the logarithmic chart, which shows you the acceleration, right? That shows you that's the derivative of it. That's the speed, the rate of change. So you, you see that on the 23rd, which was the exact day that we bottomed, that it went indefinite slopes, it went straight up, and then it started curving over. And that is how you mark the bottom because the market knows that, that I mean, things are going to be fine over time. And I think that a lot of people, a lot of that selling, I mean, that was just all huge funds that were so screwed with leverage and, you know, their risk parity, Dahlia's all weather kind of logic, which just went out the window. It was a left tail event. There's nothing they could do to protect that, especially when you're levered 20 to 30 times. Mm-hmm. And then you get bailed out by the Fed, like Citadel and 0.72 and Millennium did. So for me, it was just like a combination of everyone just max fear. Like I'm, I'm a very big sentiment trader. I, mm-hmm. I made my own major a Duke in behavioral economics just because I know psychology is just the biggest driver in the markets because when news hits, how do people interpret it? When a company reports earnings or something else about its, its own company's news, how do people interpret that? So, I mean, that, that's kind of what told me that. So and I know that every time I read news, every time I see another outlet giving their opinion, I know that's just someone else who maybe read the data right or maybe didn't read the data right. So I'm just going to read the data for myself. What's going on with the pension funds? What's happening here kind of at the end of the month where they kind of need to balance their portfolios and, and how that affects retail investors that may not think about these types of things. Uh, more yeah. Like. I mean, like, so at the end of the quarter is always a really, a really, I mean, what happened last week with quad witching, which is just like, I don't even want to talk about it. It's just too, too in depth <laughs> here, but it was a very, very complicated Not for the first podcast. Yeah. Not for the first podcast. We'll go That's into it professional. Later. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I mean, at the end of every quarter, there's always stuff happening. I mean, even for me, myself, like the last two weeks, I've been basically wasting money hedging just to make sure that I end up in a really, really good place at the end of the quarter. Like I'm not trying to have the market dive five, 10% and take me down. Um, So I'm just going to spend money to hedge myself. But all these pension funds, these mutual funds, they they have to balance at the end of certain periods of time. And these pension funds, let's say that you have an allocation in your paperwork when you, when you first invest in this fund and it says, I'm going to be in 60% stocks and 40% bonds. And then the market explodes the last month or last three months or so because the Fed backstopped everything, but mm-hmm. bonds are still trading way subpar. So your allocation is going to be maybe 75% stocks, 25% bonds. So you got to sell 15% stocks and buy 15% bonds to be on your allocation. So, I mean, that's a huge problem usually, but the thing is right now, I'm pretty sure that the Fed, there's just so much liquidity in the market. I mean, there's, there's less now, obviously than there was before, because when we pumped, it was a huge and all pretty much at once. And it does take time for liquidity to hit the markets, but mm-hmm. I don't think the selling is going to be as like aggressive as everyone's saying. You know, they get, you get the zero hedges saying there was one trillion to sell. It's just, if that would have happened, the market would have been down 100, 200 points in, in, in a day in the last 10 minutes. Like that's not real. So a lot of people are also creating these narratives in the financial community because you know a lot of the people I think are either short and they can't get out because they're short from 200, 300 points ago, or they're one of the big hedge funds, most of the hedge funds who sat on the sidelines with, and there's like 5 trillion sitting on the sidelines that they didn't invest because they didn't believe in a rally. So everyone's trying to get into those stocks that have performed super well. It's called window dressing, right? So you make your book look really, really pretty. So your investors see it on the quarterly statement. Yeah. That was, that's fascinating to me, especially all these people coming on now from like Robinhood, right? And people listening again to, you know, Dave Portnoy was picking literally pieces from the Scrabble. We were joking about this today. There's literally a website that says how to fade what these Robinhood folks are doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Like, is is that real? Is like, are, are people that uh, it, it, it's a, it's definitely a real thing, right? So I saw this I saw this like graphic the other day, um, showing that Citadel paid a hundred million last quarter for Robinhood's order flow. So it's just wow. like every retail investor's trades, and like Robinhood's different from other brokerages. I mean, you're getting every single trade just averaged out, and you're getting when they buy, when they sell, what they're buying, what they're selling, like at to, to the to the minute, right? Like you're getting just tons of pieces of data, and I mean they're paying a hundred million dollars for it. So if they see all these guys are huge in a stock, right, and like maybe the stock goes bankrupt, so on Robinhood you can't buy it, you can only sell it. So everyone's dumping it, and they know that, for instance, this is probably going to go bankrupt, or that there's going to be a big short in the stock soon. They'll just load up the short before anyone even knows it, and then all those Robinhood people are, are left holding the bag. So I mean. I don't think data access is necessarily a bad thing, but it's always, you know, it's, it's not, it's not what you have. It's, it's kind of how you use it. And those mm-hmm. people are, they're definitely using it for their own gains. They're not using it to try to help make Robin hood money, try to make, you know, no, retail investor extra cash. No way. <laughs> so kind of thinking about some of the other things in the news. One thing that really stood out and a lot of these questions, by the way, thanks for all, all of, uh, Anthony's Twitter followers that are now, you know, coming over to, to follow me as well. <laughs> um, so I appreciate the uh, almost famousness that I got going on here. But you're talking about how they've locked the rates in here at 0.1% until the end of 2022. Oh, yeah. What the hell does that mean for, for the average investor? And, and, and why yeah. are you so bullish going through the next couple of years? I mean, so if you look at the chart for the markets, just, just in general, like any market, pick anyone you want. Even look at the RUT, which is the Russell 2000, hugely underperforming now because of the coronavirus. But if you look at it between October, when the Fed started adding more to the balance sheet, because what was happening was for like the last two years, we were starting to increase rates and we were starting to taper off the balance sheet, which means we're trying to take assets off the Fed's balance sheet. And the market could not break over 2960 on the S&P 500. It couldn't get through 3000 for more than a couple of days. And as soon as they started adding more to their balance sheet. So they were buying corporate ETFs. They were buying bonds. They were buying a bunch of different things in the market. And then they were starting to drop those rates as this was all happening. That's the most bullish possible thing you can get. Because the reason why we, we didn't break out for like the last two years and we were just range bound essentially was because we were taking stuff off the balance sheet. You're selling into the bond market, right? Like you're, you're selling into the ETF market. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not letting the market Granted, this is like artificial stimulation into the markets, of course, Mm -hmm. but you're not letting the market continue that growth. And if you're raising rates, then people can go and say, hey, well, I don't really like the markets right now. It's a bit risky, but the 10 year is giving me 2.5%. Let me, let me go just put my money in bonds, treasury bonds backed by the US, super safe, guaranteed return. It's great. But now they drop these rates so low. What are you going to buy for yield? You're going to buy stocks. You're going to buy high yield corporate bonds, which are mm-hmm. trading super down because people think all these companies are going to go bankrupt. And then not only that, but their balance sheet went from October to February, went from 3.6 to about 4.4 trillion. So they didn't add too much. And now it's over 7.3, 7.5 trillion. So that amount, if you compare it to, we ran 600 points off of less than a trillion, you add 3 trillion, market should be 5,000. I mean, Obviously, granted, this is just like in a perfect world. Like if nothing were wrong, if the economy was back to normal, unemployment was as low as it was before and employment was full, we would, we would be at 5,000 with that kind of stimulus. Mm-hmm. So 
that's why I'm so bullish. I mean, like for the next two years, you can't find yield in safe bonds. You have to invest in some type of risky asset class. So you're going to be buying something that helps prop up the market. And all that stimulus is going to find its way into the market at some point. I don't know when, I don't know how, but it, it will get into the market at some point. Just, it's just a matter of time. And that, that's also why, look, look, I mean, look at this rally. Like the unemployment, we got 40 million unemployed as one of our friends likes to say every day. <laughs> the economy is not looking fantastic. You've got a bunch of industries, 70% lower in their sales and revenue and all that. But we're, we're still higher than when the Fed started dropping rates and started adding to their balance sheet in October. So this is insane, right? Like this, imagine when the economy gets back to normal when people realize that COVID is three times less bad right now than it was at the beginning of May. And that's, that's statistics, right? Like you had to check eight people to find one positive test at the beginning of May. Now you have to test 22 people to find one positive test. That's three times better, mm -hmm. a little bit less than three times better. So, I mean, I, obviously we're testing a million people every two days. We weren't, we were testing less than 400,000 at the beginning of May, right? So if you, if you normalize those numbers over time and check the data for what it is, that you'll see that even though we're testing, even though there's more cases, there's not more deaths. So things are looking better. Obviously, there's a lag time, but I still don't think it's going to be even as close to as severe. We could probably have a whole podcast about COVID and just like thinking about the media tries to scare us, then they switched over to the racial tensions, then it switched right back, you know, to, to COVID. It's almost like they're trying to, to knock Trump out. But I think when it comes to, you know, stock trading, but you have to look at the data. Yeah, if you have these political, you can have whatever affiliations you want, religious, political, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But when you're, when you're trading in the market, like you can't have those be a part of your every day, right? Mm -hmm. If you think something he said was great or you think it was horrible, it really doesn't matter. It matters what the market thinks. It's what the average of all people and the economy's response is going to think. A lot of people lose a lot of money because they can't get out of their biases. Exactly. Well, I always said that like stocks are not going to go down while Trump's trying to become president again. Like he will do whatever it yeah. takes. And so, you know, if, and, if the stocks go down... He, he has no chance of winning. So again, <laughs> we're trying to get away from politics, but of, of course they do play a role. They do. I mean, like the market dropped a hundred points and then he was right there in a second to say, look, <laughs> this is not real Buy stocks. So exactly. that's what happens. I mean, that, that, that's the data you have to look at, right? Like you have to know who's calling the shots, whether you want them to or not, it doesn't matter. So just know who's calling the shots and how the shots are going to be called. What happens if, if, uh, if Biden wins? What happens uh, uh, on election man, day? I have been asked this question a lot. And, and I'll tell you what, like the day that Trump got elected and came in on, on November. You called that, by the way. That was, that was yeah. uh, people may not yeah. know this. I remember he, Anthony had mentioned this a while before Trump, you know, right when he announced, you're like, Trump's going to win. <laughs> and yeah. No one believed the, the, it. <laughs> the day he announced, I was just like, you know, just do my, do my data check. And I got so much flack for these posts, but it was all data related. And I mean, he won it. And so it's, it's, I think what's going to happen in November is we, we, the market sold off like crazy when he won, the, mm -hmm. like at fu the futures market. But by the end of the day, we were fine. Right. So, and then we went up 50% in, in a very, 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 very short period of time. Granted, like we, we stalled for a while because of the interest rate rising, which I think a lot of the reason why that China trade deal happened was to get some leverage against the Fed to start cutting rates and to start stopping their tapering mm -hmm. um so I, I think it's all just definitely a plan to boost the economy 
I think that one of the things people are scared about is that if Biden wins, he's not going to have that same drive for the economy. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not saying he's going to be better or worse, not, none of that. But I'm saying that he's not going to be calling Powell saying, hey, drop rates. Hey, you know, buy stocks, like start right. buying corporate bonds, right? Like it's a very different like paradigm we're going to be having. Um, so I think that what would happen is even though it's going to be a new president, the Fed cannot ease off the brakes for two years, like at least. And it's really interesting that Powell, you know, I watch everything he says all the time because he's, I mean, he, apart from the administration, he is like the market, right? Like he, he makes all the shots. I mean, the, the Federal Reserve, but he's the chair. So you hear it from right. him. So he's saying it doesn't matter. We're not even thinking about debt. We're not even thinking about anything like that. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to sell these bonds off unless they mature. Um, so he's going to wait till tw- like a lot of these bonds don't don't go out till 2022, 2024. So Fed's going to hold those till maturity. So we're we're not we're not going to dive off of him selling, and the Fed's not going to raise rates at all, minimum for two years, like two no two and a half full years. They're going to be as where they are. I mean, granted, anything can change. Like they could raise it whatever they want tomorrow sure. if things are all better and the economy's back to normal. I don't think they will. I think that the Fed knows that. I mean, they're honestly in so deep that there's nothing that they can do besides ride the wave all the way back up. Yeah. And, you know, they, they're they're going to make a lot of money off of it if they do it right. Yeah. I mean, it feels like people are, are, are it's almost like, a, you know, throwing gasoline on a fire, kind of trying just to keep this the float and ride it out until COVID passes and they have a little yep. more clarity of, of what's going on. The stock market's not what's happening today. It's what is happening in the future. So you yeah. see stocks like Zoom that are just dominating. Obviously, COVID just propelled that thing skyrocket um, best quarter best quarter beat of a company in history insane um so some of the questions on twitter one of the questions like pick three to five sectors that you think you know are going to be the future you have a great list that you sent to me you know of, of some of the core stocks you're looking at um one that kind of stood out to me was, was uh spg right i don't think people are going to be going to the malls i still want to be sold on that Sell me yeah. on why you think a stock yeah. like the Simon will, Property Group is going to I mean, so, well so he, I think, he, he, you know. here's my logic for these kind of things, right? Like people who have a lot of money, right? Like the, the big managers, the hedge funds, the pensions, the mutual funds, they're usually chasing yield. Mm-hmm. So you see all these cloud, the software as a service sector, crazy valuations now. And I'm not a valuation guy in the slightest, right? Like mm-hmm. not at all. But... There's only so much those things can go exponential, right? Like you see Fastly, one of my favorites, and I was in from 22, it's 82 today, right? I knew that was going to happen. I didn't think it would happen in two weeks, but I, <laughs> I, knew, I knew it would happen, right? So, so I think what's going to happen is like something like SPG, right? So Simon Property Group, they, they own the properties for most of the big malls in America. I, I don't think malls are going away, right? Like I'm, I'm a big believer that real t- retail will die a slow death, a way faster death now because of the coronavirus. But I still think that there's always going to be a human innate urge to go out and, and buy stuff. Maybe, maybe you're not buying, you're not going to the mall to buy tools for, you know, you're building a shed in your backyard or whatever, but you know, you want to go try on some clothes and you go to the mall, like you mm-hmm. want to go get some ice cream, maybe some sushi in like a, a nice Asian fusion restaurant. You go to the mall. And also if you look at where it was, right, it was like trading at 170. This thing is at 69 today. Like, like, yeah. I think that's a, there's still a huge upside, right? So 
it's not that I love the company. I just, I like the opportunity that it has. It's the same thing as like booking, right? They may buy TripAdvisor, which I was hearing about today. That'd be interesting. And they own OpenTable and they're kind of expanding in that. And they're not just based in the US, but I think a lot of those beaten down names are something to definitely look at. So if I had to pick one big sector is all these stocks that are severely beaten down, like airlines, the hotel trust, like Starwood, SPG Seven Property Group, uh, Booking.com. I was about to say, how can you not say Booking? That's your that's yeah, book. My biggest winner. That's your the, fucking my, biggest winner, man. You're my biggest win, my biggest winner for honestly my whole life. Like that trade, you know, changed the fund. That changed my life. Like that's a huge percentage of I mean, Yeah, just, you were the first one to say like everyone's like who the hell would go on a cruises, and you showed mm-hmm. me this article that cruises are. I don't remember the percentage, but it was like insane, like two hundred percent up from the year on yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. So they were trying to start cruising in August and they were saying that August bookings are up 600%. But that data for me was like, it's hard. It's, you, you can't really take that for what it is. Cause right. Like let's say that they went down 90%. So they're up 600%. They're still 40% down from where they were. Right. right. But the piece of data that really changed my mind was bookings in 2021. Like obviously I know about the discounts. I know about the deals and like you can cancel and all this and that, but like, like in stocks, it's always just about your interests, it's about your number of subscribers, it's about your revenue potential. That's what it's about, right? So in 2021, they were saying that cruise bookings were up 41% from 2019. So when everything was perfect and dandelions were in the fields, cruises were up 41% in 2021. So, mm-hmm. and only 11% of those were rebookings, right? So you had a, at least a 33% change of growth on top of 100% normal amount of bookings. So for me, like cruises are like, nobody has to go on a cruise, right? right like, it's a luxury. It's like the, yeah. the most leisurely thing you could be possibly doing. It's a week of your time when you're unemployed and you're still getting 144% from 100% of your, your bookings, right? So that was for me, that was like, that's it. And I read that on April 11th or April 12th. And from then I was a Super Bowl. Like it doesn't, it didn't matter to me. Like everything else was just media noise. That was pretty much everything I needed to see. Why do you like airlines? So and I say this is, you know, I, I work in software sales. I'm traveling a lot for work. You know, if, if companies get comfortable and I heard this on crowd, which is one of my favorite you know, stocks on their quarterly earnings report, they were talking about, Hey, it's kind of the new normal. Like if, if companies are okay with taking demos over the phone or over zoom, uh, which we're on right now, you know, mm-hmm. like h- how do you kind of see the value? I think I forget the exact percent, but a high percentage of those airline our business travel. And if, if people are okay, and you also take a look at, you know, those companies, Hey, that's a lot of money in, in T&E that we're saving over time, right? You don't need to pay mm. for all these flights and that's great for companies. So that could, you know, be great for other companies, but airlines specifically, like where, where do you see the value there? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, and I've had a lot of disagreements with people about this. Um, but I mean, I've been in UAL since 24, right. And it's it was 36 today it was at 50 um, mm-hmm. trimmed a little bit, but I got back in more. Um, but I think that airlines are, you know, like, I, I don't think malls are going to be better in 10 years than they are today, unless they go, oh, you know, they, they do some revolutionary change in what they're doing, just in general. I, I don't know what it could be. That's, that's not my field, but sure. uh, it, it, they could do something like, who, who knows, you, you could transform that into something that everyone wants to go to. I think the thing with airlines is people are going to still travel, right? I know that a big percentage of it is business travel, but could you imagine if 33% of people increased, wanted to go net increase, wanted to go on a cruise, how many people want to go to like Bali? How many people want to go to like Australia once this is all over? Like I'm dying to go somewhere. 
totally. I'm sure you are too, right? So totally. I th- I think it's it's not really just about. Of course, people look five, ten, whatever years on the road, but that's far. That's way too far. People should stop looking that far, unless you're buying something for long term, right? Like for me, it's not a long term play. Like I won't be holding Fair, UAL. Okay. I won't be holding UAL in two years. But do I think that at 36, it should go back to 60 to 70 once this is over? Easily. Easily. Got it. So it's, it's more of a, a, a value thing, which, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. I, I don't think they, mm-hmm. they are where they're at. Uh, who knows? Yeah. I, th- I think eventually, you know, I, I'm an optimist. I think life will go back to normal. I haven't seen it happen in my lifetime and neither of my parents. But, you know, you look in history and these types of things have happened. You know, the technology, the testing, the whole world's against this thing. We're going to figure it out. Like, I, I'm, I'm very confident with that. I agree with airlines more than SPG. We'll see. I'm in, I'm in retail. I hear about all these brands that are, you know, people are going to e-commerce. Now my, my parents who never bought anything online are now starting to buy online, right? Now there's millions mm-hmm. of extra people that are kind of created this behavior of, of yeah. now, hey, I could buy something online. So who, who knows? I do think they'll, well, yeah. they will pivot. So a yeah, bit, let me but... touch on that for a second too. Uh, like sure. Shopify is, well, it was my second largest position and now it's my number one largest position. And I was in since... I was in and out of it along like between 280 and you know, 350, whatever. Um, and then it dropped a ton during COVID, the COVID crash. And I, I loaded the boat at 350, 348.5 to be exact. And I, and I, I rode that thing all, all the way to 930 today. Like I haven't gotten out of it. So me playing SPG is me playing the other side of that coin, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've already made 200, almost 300% on shop. So for me to only be in shop, while it had this insane run, Black Friday level sales every single day because of COVID-19. And trust me, like, I believe that that's going to stay higher than it was before this. Mm-hmm. Like those, those, those sales, that traffic, not on retail, will continue. And retail will continue to die. But if, if I'm wrong at all, then I want to be in the other play. Mm-hmm. I want to have at least some exposure to the other side of the coin, especially like it's, I mean, if it goes back to where it was, I'm going to get a 300% gain. So it's, I think it's a lot harder for shop to go to 3000. Okay. Maybe not. Cause I think shop is going to 5,000, but in Jesus. the amount of time, <laughs> in the amount of, in the amount of time, I think it's harder for shop to go to 3000 if the market gets all the way better, because the only way the market gets all the way better is if these junk stocks, junk stocks, I'm doing quotes on my fingers right now. Right. If those come back, right? Like the market's at 3120, 3130. And you have Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, all these things are over their highs, right? And that's, that's 24% of the S&P, probably 20, 28% now. I don't even know what it is, but it's definitely higher than 23%, which it was. Um, that's like half the NASDAQ and those big five tech companies. You, you can't just keep, you can't, you can, you, they can keep going up, of course, but like you can't run the markets to where it was previously unless those junk stocks come back. So it would take a lot longer and I'm going to bet that those value stocks, the SPGs, the UALs, the bookings of the world, those come back. I think they do. And I'm going to be happy when I get a 10 to 70 hit on my calls when maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years. I have two years on my calls. I have Jan 2022's hundred strike at like nine bucks. So Mm -hmm. we'll see. Yeah, now I've learned to stop making fun of you because there, there's been plenty of times I've tried <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying this just purely off emotion, right? Like what I think about the market and then you use data and you you like clown me because it ends up flying, right? Like every, it's, it's innate. People are, are naturally going to- I'm an emotional trader too sometimes. Everyone is, right? But like, how, how do you, you know, you're, you're an optimist, I'm an optimist and, and you know, I love life. <laughs> we want, you want to yeah. see things go peak well. Peak life. Exactly, peak life. Peak life. Same. 
probably a good transition. What is peak life? It, What's it, the embodiment I mean, mean to you while you brought it, that it, up? It, it really is just not, it's not just a name. It's definitely not just a fun. I mean, for me, it is a way of life. Like I have a tattoo, a peak life tattoo. Like, right. Like for me, it's every single day. You like I me, mean, you have one life, right? Like and every single day, what do you want to be doing with that day? And you know, every day turns into every week and every week turns into every month and every month turns into your whole life. So you want to be living the best life you possibly can, whether that means putting your money where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck, you know, like in great growth stocks versus mm -hmm. crap. Or, you know, if you don't want, if you don't like your job, quit, quit that shit and go travel and drive down Costa Rica. It really doesn't matter. Do whatever you want to do. And I mean, peak life is just about living that optimal life for yourself, whatever it is. Like if you want to go be a painter, be the best damn painter you can possibly be. I agree. There's a famous saying, if you like what you do at work, then work is not work. And like, I've always done that. I, you know, when I was 25, I, I quit my job in Chicago. I went traveling and I knew that, you know, at this time, I'm never going to be able to do this again. Well, maybe I will, but I'm not going to be able to do it when I'm 25. Right. And so like, exactly. I would definitely encourage people to go out, you know, like you mentioned, there's that joke of YOLO, you know, everything YOLO this, YOLO that. <laughs> but like, there, there is some truth to that. Of like, you Absolutely. do only live once. And so you do want to, you know, really take advantage of it. Um, probably should have saved that question to the end to end on optimism. Um, but with all this optimism, what makes you go bearish, right? I think that's the question, right? I'm always bragging to my friends. I'm like, you guys, you don't realize how good this kid is. Like he's a fucking star. Um, and everyone comes back and says, Hey, you know, it's easy to make money. And like your first thing you mentioned where it's easy to make money and throw darts at the board. And I guess the first question is like, what, what's the indicators that would, kind of create a bearish because you, you you do puts but I like do puts every week to manage my positions but not directionally usually like what is there an indicator is there something yeah, in the news that no, would happen for for me yeah it's it's 100 news related like yeah like if this china deal is completely off like I, I won't go completely bearish but i'll start being bearish but i'll tell you like the biggest thing for me and i wait for this if this ever happens i will sell everything in six seconds but if the fed does anything to take its foot off the gas i mean literally anything like I'm not talking like, yeah, I've read the Zero Hedge article, which I mean, I already knew about, but I read it because I wanted to see what everyone else was thinking. Oh, the Fed dropped some stuff off his balance sheet. Well, yeah, it was quad which, so they were taking off maybe bonds or ETFs, whatever that were expiring at that time. So they had to roll those off because they literally expired. They couldn't hold them anymore. But if the Fed starts raising rates, if the Fed does anything like that, or if they stop providing liquidity before unemployment's back to full before the economy. Like it has to be a hundred percent normal. Like everything in the economy that like, we have to go back to like 3.4% unemployment. We have to go back to, you know, same GDP. Everything has to be like when it was the best economy in the world in 2019, whatever, all that. Mm -hmm. if, the, if they do anything against what they're doing now, like if they, if they stop even a little bit, right? Like I'm, I'm done. I'm out. I'll go bearish because that's it. Like liquidity is everything in the market. So they mm -hmm. stop pumping us. They stop doing the liquidity. Like we're not going up. It's not like you can see that clearly like history has shown you that we didn't break 3000 for two years because they started tapering. They started raising rates. If they do anything like that, again, especially in the climate right now, I will go full bear. I'll short the world and make a lot of money. Yeah, well, that's the beauty of, of trading, right? You can you can make money both ways. We've been talking a lot. This is our first podcast. You know, this is pretty cool that we, that we finally got it going. And we've been talking about yeah, this I'm for a excited. while. The people have been waiting. I guess a, a good way to end is what, what would your advice be, I think, for some of these folks that are yeah. you know new first year or two kind of into trading and getting going here? 
I got the the biggest piece of advice, which I don't think I'll ever change. This is being the number one thing you should pay attention is make sure you can trade tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like make sure you wake up with your alarm clock, make sure you have a nice breakfast. I mean like make sure your account doesn't go to zero. Cause if you're at zero, then you're starting back from square one. You're not even like worse than square one because you probably put money in there from working before. So you don't have to be a hero. You don't have to be buying your entire account. Definitely don't do anything you don't understand. I mean, like that's just like a recipe for a disaster. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've, I've woken up before to my account being at like negative 1.5 million. And it wasn't even like actually a negative 1.5 million. It was just like I was selling put spreads and somehow I got assigned. So it didn't cover it till the morning or till the next Monday. And like, I was freaking out. Yeah. So you don't, you don't want that to happen. You don't want to be in a position where you're, you're, freaking out and in a really bad place you can always go small and don't start trading options unless you truly understand it and even when you do understand it you don't understand it so Mm. start like you can practice right like there's paper trading accounts for a reason and they're you're you're not going to do the same thing with real money as you do with fake money like no anyone who says that they can paper trade and then take that and do it on a real account is just lying and full of shit yeah so make sure you can trade tomorrow totally no i I think that's a good point And and i'm Case study number one, you know, my first two <laughs> weeks of options trading, I took $5,000 and $30,000 two weeks. And I was talking shit at work. I was like, guys, I'm quitting tomorrow. Like I'm the best stock trader in the world. And of course, two weeks later, not only did I lose that $30,000 gain, I also lost and I brought it all down to zero. And that's yeah. when I came to you and I came to other people and it was like, all right, how do I actually fucking do this? Right. And so <laughs> yeah, uh, I would definitely advise to, for, you know, start with the stock trading probably trade a paper account just to kind of understand how, how options definitely work before you actually start putting money and then, you know, buy one or two contracts. So I think, I think we're good. I mean, I think, you know, we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to blow it all here on the first episode. Yeah, we're, we're gonna, we've got a lot more to talk about. We've got tons and tons of content. We didn't even get through like, I would say 10% of the questions. So we got another yeah. 10 coming at least. So yeah, well, the idea here is like week by week, you know, we're going to, we didn't do it this Sunday because of Father's Day and, and we didn't think that made sense, but um, we're going to try to do this and, and keep it, you know, consistent on Sundays for everyone. We want to also say that like, we're trying to make this something that's not going to put you to sleep, right? You can see our very like, our lax and kind of <laughs> jokingly fun mentality here. I've listened to so many podcasts that I turn off within 30 seconds it's just too professional and too, I don't like any of that stuff. Like that's, you're not going to get the real content out of it unless you're talking like real people. Right. So this is what we're trying to aim 100%. to do here. If you like this, please uh, subscribe to whatever platform you decide to drop this on. Hopefully Spotify signs us like Joe Rogan and Kim Kardashian. Oh, we're going to um, double his salary. 200 million for the, this podcast. Easy. easy. Exactly. So we'll be back next week uh, with another episode of pound the table. Pound Thank you guys table, for listening. Happy trading week everybody. <laughs>